Hello, welcome everyone to the Language and Power podcast. We are on episode two of our third series. This is a mini series in response to themes around COP27. And today we have a, a special guest with us, Michel Kranet. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, yeah, not too bad. Christmas soon. Yeah, <laughs> for us it is Christmas as we record almost not too far off. So you're at so the University of Southampton and you're also a discourse analyst as if we needed more discourse analysts <laughs> on the podcast. Yes. But what uh, are you working on? And also working on on, on discourse and sustainability. I'm, I'm yeah. having a project at the moment on the language of local government and policies of net zero and how they how they adapt their the the national policies to, to interlocal policy and how that's debated in both Germany and the UK. So that's what I'm working on at the moment yeah. with a bit of linguistic ethnography, seeing people, observing them. Yeah, re re really looking forward to seeing what what you find in that in that project. So today we're going to talk about greenwashing in relation to COP27, which recently was held in, in Egypt. And this is inspired, this topic is inspired by an article. It's a long read article that we found in The Guardian. It's authored by the well-known writer, Naomi Klein. And I'll just quickly give you the headlines from this article. The headline is uh, Greenwashing a Police State, the Truth Behind Egypt's COP27 Masquerade. And this is a long read. It's a very long article. We'll put the link in the show description. The article is about the political prisoner in Egypt, Allah Abdel Fattah, described in the article as one of Egypt's most high-profile political prisoners who, wrote, who regularly wrote letters and was on hunger strike just before the COP27. And his letter that was due to be sent to his family disappeared. And so that's, how, that's Naomi Klein's entry point to what's going on or what was going on prior to COP27 in Egypt, the story of, of the political prisoner and the repression. And this is an article about political repression, about repressive regime. And the argument that Naomi Klein puts forward is that hold, by holding COP27 in Egypt, the state government of Egypt is enabling itself or in, embarking on an action of, of greenwashing its uh, it's repressive regime, so it sort of takes it to a new level, the, the idea of greenwashing. This is not just a, as you, Tom, said earlier, when before we were talking, it's not just about polluting companies. This is taking it to a whole new level about human rights. So that's, that's, where, that's what our starting point is. And one of the points that she, she makes in there is that the video, there's a, there's a video on the COP27 website from Egypt, which shows a... The, the, it's like a tourist video. I mean, could, could anybody want to tell us about the video? Yeah, that, that's the first thing that I found when I looked at the webpage. It's uh, Sham El Sheikh, Mangroves and Sustainability. And it is effectively, yeah, the genre is, is a tourism ad. Yeah. <laughs> right on, uh, on the front page of the... Again, we'll put the link in the show description for people who want to watch. I mean, we're not going to play it now because it's music. It's music, images, and then some subtitles. But uh, yeah, so go on, go ahead. But, but the yeah, uh, it's it's the the prime uh, a prime example of 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 greenwashing. You find almost all all seven sins that the terror choice sort of have defined sort of hidden trade offs and no proof and vagueness and irrelevance and false labels and certainly some fibbing on mm -hmm. their 
is, is some some wonderful contradiction as well because it starts with you see the planes flying in and then it says uh, take a ride on our green transportations and it shows you buses <laughs> Uh, and yeah, the next, and right. and the I mean, next sentence is sustainable roads. That's yeah, that yeah, one I found well, really. So, so all these all these aircraft flying into to the airport at Sharm El Sheikh, and then you know it's green because the buses that take you from the plane to the airport terminus uh, <laughs> are electric or, or whatever. You don't quite say how they're green, but yeah. And at, and at the same and at the same time, they're sort of talking about sustainable roads with with without any proof, and and I'm not, still not quite sure how roads can be sustainable. And it's also irrelevant to 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 the COP twenty seven. I mean, it should be the opposite, right? We we need less roads rather than more. Yeah. So that that was then there was a very obvious fib that was quite interesting because they showed people recycling. And and I I heard a radio show from from a German radio this morning reporting from 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 COP twenty seven. I was interested, sort of getting a bit of background, and they were actually saying, God, the the, the plastic rubbish that they produced and the non recycling that they did and non-separating of rubbish and then you see these photographs where they are really nicely sort of separating and using plastic alternatives and yeah it was so as i said you you find almost everything and then it goes straight into eco-friendly tourism right diving and so it is it is really a tourism ad and i think that's that's what uh, what egypt is using it for and it's almost one of the first things that you see when you go to the COP27 yeah. official website. Again, we'll put the links in, but it, but it's it's right there. It's it's pretty blatant, isn't it? There's a green watching exercise. It's under presidency and and information. This is the the second about two videos. One is the convention center, which is completely saying nothing, and and the second one is this one. This is a silent video of a of a clean convention center with people strolling about, looking semi purposeful. It's not quite, I'm not quite sure what that's doing there at all, apart from saying we've got nice facilities. But yeah, not really totally relevant at all, Michael, at all. Yeah. We, 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 start with, we want to talk about greenwashing. And Tom, did you want to say about those definitions? Well, just look at this pound ups and definitions. And it's interesting. There are, there are different definitions out there, some more cynical than others, which are quite amusing if you just Google it and find what they have to say. But just to sort of, Get us going. So there's one that says greenwashing involves making an unsubstantiated claim to deceive consumers into believing that the consumer's products are environmentally friendly or have a greater positive, positive environmental impact than they actually do. And that sort of takes us back to the, quite the, the original idea of greenwashing. I think quite an early idea that people selling products and saying, you know, I remember when green products first became popular, you know, washing powder companies were... were brushing their packaging so that their only contribution to being green was that they saved a small amount of cardboard, but this was enough to put a green label as if there's just a tremendous breakthrough compared to the, you know, the detergents being poured into the atmosphere. As long as soon as it was marked as green, people felt better buying it. And I think that that's half the thing is you're really just trying to make people feel better amongst themselves. But in terms of marketing, you know, you don't really need to do very much. Just make people feel okay. But then there's another one, which is, I quite like this one, and Michael, it comes to some of the stuff about the COP website and the whole of COP, really. And as some people would have it. Greenwashing is essentially when a company or organization spends more time on money on marketing themselves as being sustainable than on actually minimizing their environmental impact. So they spend more money saying they're green than being green. And this, I think, comes in, you know, you're talking about COP, possibly, talking the talk and talking the talk and talking the talk about talking the talk 
but never getting on to walk the walk. It says we're going to do this green stuff. This is this this cop more than any other cop is going to launch us into doing stuff. But as you were making a lovely comment about this, what you're talking about the goals being within reach, Michael, you mentioned. Oh, that that's the that's the British Prime Minister's statement in the House of Commons, where where he where he sort of was talking about how how great and historic the Glasgow COP was, and the climate cap uh, pact that kept the 1.5 degree goal within reach. And I found that quite interesting. Yeah, if you do this for 27 years, you know, you always keep it within reach. You don't quite reach it, but uh, and I think this is the this is I mean this is the thing that is covered up by by these conversations and also by the PM speech uh, that that we actually have not any agreement in place that that will guarantee that we are reaching the the 1.5 degrees uh, target actually just the opposite and and they're all using it to sort of credit claim for for the great things they do one more than the other i mean the the, the video is pretty much just a taking a different genre and, and and making it a really fun thing while i don't know if you've looked at any other speeches but the the uh, rishi sunak speech was very much we, our nation has done everything they could uh, and we're really good uh, and in, in between, you have a bit of Putin, of course, that needs to come in there sort of saying, well, if it wasn't for Putin, we would be even better. And then frame it as the green industrial revolution. So it's all good. It's all fun. There's no, there's no crisis, right? There's no emergency. It's, it's come, come, to, come to Egypt and, and see our wonderful sustainable roads. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but this is something that we saw last year, Tom, didn't we, when we were looking at COP26. So we, it's not that we're just having a go at Egypt, particularly. We no, said it the same about the UK. It, it was very much, we looked at Boris Johnson's speeches, and we've got previous episodes about that. And it's the same sort of thing. It's promoting your national image. It's this kind of projection of soft power, that sort of uh, thing that's going on. How, how good your record is on, on, on green. And it, last year, in, when it was in Glasgow, the UK was claiming its green credentials. But at the same time, opening coal mines, coal mines or proposing to open coal mines, and indeed, it's just just now opened a new coal mine. It looks the same with Egypt, like proclaiming its green credentials. But at the same time, it's got cement factories, it's got this huge tourism industry uh, that, that, that that relies on flights, one of the most polluting kind of activities that 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 there, are, that there is for an individual to undertake. So it's about projecting a national kind of. Uh, claim whilst at the same time doing exactly what the greenwashing definition says is hiding it you know hiding the fact that it's actually each of these nations is doing stuff that is uh, at odds with with those claims isn't it yeah and, and in the case of the Naomi Klein article as well I think sort of you see this idea of greenwashing coming to the the second level as you hinted at it's not just saying our product's green when it isn't really no it's being used project yourself positively on the world stage to hide all sorts of things, not not just being non-sustainable or stuff. In fact, you know, according to Naomi Klein, the, this glossy modern profile that's been put forward hides quite a, a significant uh, civil rights record. Yeah. Yes, Roddy, environmental campaigners are amongst those being targeted, apparently, but also uh, a wider record rather like we saw with the world cup as well where there's a lot of debate about what countries should be allowed to host the world cup if it's giving them a really positive image worldwide which is able to to offset, offset uh, bad image offset like carbon offset bad image offset for, for, for wider things and, which is also quite an interesting one because it then 
I think to take a slightly different side on that, you know, by her standards, and I think with the World Cup that came, I don't want to take it on to football again, but, you know, what country hasn't got things to hide that holding the cop wouldn't be very convenient little excuse, you know, to allow us to look good on the world stage or the World Cup. So sure. I think that was interesting, this idea of taking the idea of greenwashing it further, saying yeah. to wash yeah. away all your sins. You know, yeah, don't no, your yeah. sins as red as scarlet, they should be washed green or something like that. No, that's right. I, it's, it's a t yeah. I was just going to say, shall I just, shall I just sort of sit and read a couple more of the things, the points that Naomi Klein makes, just so that we can put, put a bit of detail mm -hmm. on that. So the first one, the upcoming climate summit in Egypt, she gets a quote from, from a, a, an activist in, in, in Egypt. The usual calculus has changed, is the quote. The balance has tipped. In addition to the carbon and the cost, the host government, in this case Egypt, who will get the chance to preen green before the world, is not your standard double-talking liberal democracy. It is, he says, the most repressive regime in the history of the modern Egyptian state. So that's one kind of point. The next one. This is, talk, this is an academic now uh, who work, working on environmental issues who, who says we're no longer able to do that work, i.e. monitor Egypt's environmental credentials. We're no longer able to do that work. Egypt's environmental harms now happen in the dark and those who break the rules and try to turn the lights on end up in dark cells or worse. So this is how it's getting into the, the kind of the issue of sustainability. And then finally... There's lots and lots of points in this in this article, and I would recommend that people read it. But I think one of the most interesting things is that Naomi Klein, as part of this article, brings this idea of something called the sacrifice zone, where you go on you go on these uh, huge conferences and meetings in order to try and solve the issue of climate change, but at the same time you're sacrificing certain people. The cause is, is, is too great, uh, is, is big enough to, to allow you mentally to sacrifice people. So it says this, the sacrifice zone mentality at the heart of the climate crisis is the idea that some places and some people can be unseen, discounted and written off, all in the name of progress. We've seen the mentality at work when the communities are poisoned to extract and refine fossil fuels and materials. And now we're seeing in the context of an international climate summit with the rights of the people living in the host country sacrificed and unseen in the name of the mirage of real progress in the negotiations. So that, I think that those bits really kind of capture what the article, what Klein is saying there about this next level of greenwashing, where it's, yeah, it is about the, the kind of green credentials, but it's also about hiding any kind of scrutiny of those green credentials, but also sacrificing the people in that country to the big, this big kind of global, almost circus of COP, the COP meetings in a sense. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that because it has become this sort of series of meetings, it, it has almost become a sort of a part of the event culture, right? And, and you can see this, this reflect, just as you were talking, I, 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 I saw this, the, the last part of, of Rishi Sunak's speech is just to say who, he, who else he has met. So he's met the German chancellor and the president of the EU and the president of Israel and the leaders of, of Kenya and Norway and the UN Secretary General, and it's great who you all met, but he's not talking, and, and he's talking about what they did in the past, but in between, there's nothing. There's yes. nothing of saying what they have achieved. I mean, to be fair to, to, to COP26, I think the, the funding to, 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 to the damage limitation and, and, and sort of restitution funding is really good. It is progress, and they've, they've 
sacrificed other things for it, I think, but also what they have not achieved. And, and, that, and, that, and that scientists are also telling us it's not enough. We need to be faster. And this sort of hiding through, and in this case, through, you know, his success and who he's met. And the other case, a tourism brochure is all part of the event culture. But what that means for the, for the discussions as well is, of course, there's always another one. And it's interesting that we've talked about that events culture and that, that, you know, it is on a cycle of events now. I think we, Michael and I have talk, talked about this before in terms of looking at documents for, for what they are, not for what we necessarily want them to be, which is in the end story. I mean, I think we sort of accept now that these age glossy brochure cop things, this is not where any serious work is being done. This is just for people that mutual backslapping and all the political na na name dropping goes on, which isn't necessarily a totally bad thing if, if it carries something in the wake. And I think also, you know, Naomi Clem, I think that someone talks about this possibility. If this is all making something else happen as well, we can forgive the excesses of all this, you know, banqueting and uh, sustainable roads with planes and electric cars, as long as it's doing, doing something else. And I was just looking through some other stuff. It was interesting to see the Guardian article on, on Greta Thunberg. Not everybody's favourite, but still very, very important actor in all this, talking about, famously at Glasgow, she said it was a blah, blah, blah conference. Uh, and she's sticking by that. But then she says, so as it is, the cops are not really working unless, of course, we use them as an opportunity to mobilise. Therefore, this idea, it's not through the official speeches, it's not through all the ceremony itself the work gets done, but what what gets carried along with it, it, it creates, at least it opens up the dialogue elsewhere. And we see actually in the, the Minister of the Environment on the welcome page to COP, Egypt's Minister of the Environment, sort of mixing this glossy tourism brochure mentality with this idea when he talks about uh, bringing state representatives, civil society, youth, women, vulnerable groups and the private sector together in the magical city of Sharm el-Sheikh in November 2022 is the best catalyst to produce real, applicable, and feasible outcomes. And yet, these are the, precisely the groups that we've learned that have been excluded, that are not being brought to the table at all. If this pretends the greenwashing then is having the children's forum for the first time, having these events where what is apparently civil society speaking is, is hand-picked civil society to, to give you that greenwash of, of of inclusivity, and it seems to be quite extreme in this case. So, as you know, if we take all Naomi Clyde and human rights, which is backed up by Human Rights Watch and people like that at face value, but even at Glasgow, we heard people complaining about access to COP26, uh, the security measures, not being able to participate. And, and so, the, it, to, to, it seems that the circus is continuing on being the circus and it's not pulling this other stuff in the wake. And that's maybe where the real frustration is. We'll put up with your extravagant as long as we get to chat about stuff as well. But as soon as we're getting more and more excluded and it's just the circus that's left, I think it's it's just the green paint and nothing else now. Yeah. We we talked previously, Tom, about about the different genres. Well, we spoke about who who gets to speak and you're talking there about the activists and, and versus politicians and, and corporations. But we also spoke about the different kind of text types or genres that kind of become prominent through these. And we spoke, you know, we, we said that with, with Glasgow, you've got these kind of hybrid uh, genres where it's, it's partly tourist promotion, national promotion, and, and so on. But it's interesting in this one uh, that the, 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 the 
tourist type videos that we've just been talking about are, are so obviously they're hardly even hybrid. They are just uh, they're just you know promotional tourist board kind of videos. So there's a kind of a, a subtle shift there that you know they seem to to me anyway they seem to be kind of just more purely tourist, and then they seem to be more prominent as well. It's not just a kind of you know we've got to solve this and we're going to do it in this city, this great city that's given so much to the world. Blah blah blah. It's it's just look at the page. Here's a video about Sharm El Sheikh and and how lovely it is. It, you know, they're, they're, they're even moving these genres to to a great a greater prominence within the kind of framework of the uh, the, the 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 websites uh, uh, as far as I can see, which is uh, a, a new uh, maybe an iterative development, but it's, it seems to be really indicative of what you're saying there about the the the, the show becoming even more dominant over the, 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 these kind of content items that we would want to, to see coming along in the wake, as you say. And it links, it links to, to some of the critique uh, that people had to the COP as well to say, especially this one was, was badly prepared and, and they didn't spend enough time on planning the, the, the communication. I mean, it must be quite a hard thing to, to moderate a, a conversation like this to, to push it to an outcome. And that was definitely something that they, to what I've heard on on, on the radio, and and, and in the debates, uh, they didn't achieve. You know, the the, the drafts were very late. And it was quite interesting. I heard this this uh, German journalist sort of talking about that this is actually hard text work. It's not just about discussing. It's really looking at drafts and drafts and drafts of text of the declaration. And if that comes late. And if you cannot even take that out of the room, as they as they were told, so they were shown these and they were checked that they don't take it out of the room, you cannot have a transparent and productive debate. So it's interesting that they 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 put quite a lot of effort in the in the shiny glossy sort of. Mm. It's this type of promotionalization, Fairclough would call it, right? Sort of using it as as pro promotional situation, a bit like as it is done with with. Things like the the the, the World Cup and, and football and, and and the Olympics, right? right. Think, rather than thinking about the the social impact of sports and what what it should be, it is becoming a circus, and the same is happening here. Yeah, what's it called in social linguistic terms? It's like status planning and or for minority languages. I can't remember. There's practical planning or something. Someone can go and look it up and write in and tell us. And one is just trying to elevate the status of the language, trying to make it seem. You know, okay, because often minoritized languages, people are ashamed to speak them. And so to make them okay, and then others are actually to do with working out a strategy for for voting going forward. And I think this is a bit like this, isn't it? These events are great for status planning. Oh, look, here's the whole world talking about sustainability. It's a, it's an okay subject now, but then the other side is is a is a bit is a bit lost. And uh, I think that's that's what's really frustrating people. It's almost like this is too big an issue to be left to the world readers. You know. <laughs> They've all got their own agendas and different things they're doing, but which is great for status. It's wonderful, but it's still talk, isn't it? There's nothing been done to actually plan, or very as you say, the restitution was a, one, uh, a really interesting one, and that I think that came from, wasn't it, from uh, the premier of Barbados, whose speech we looked at last year, has been yeah. very active in in the in in the event, but so we've obviously some very good. It's not all been disasters. It's really good, good interventions. But uh, I think the impression, it's very dangerous, isn't it, when it gives people, just the same as the greenwashing can make people feel easy 
about going to, you know, buying a particular washing powder because it uses 20% less cardboard than the other one. And the, okay, wow, I can feel clean. The opposite can also happen. Once you see the circus in town, it's very easy for the environment, the opponents of uh, change for the better in the environment to say, oh, it's just a circus. Oh, it's nothing serious. And it makes it very easy to, the, the opposite of status planning can happen. Just people dismiss it out of hand because it's all politicians on the gravy train, on the make again. And I, I think that's a real danger when it gets too big. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. It, it, it's, it, uh, it's a really, I mean, it's a really interesting phenomenon that we that we're seeing about this, this these two faces of these cops uh, you know for what you're saying that you you've got that, that this it's a good way of thinking about this this the status and the and the kind of practicality and i like that those phrases about the, you know you need the text work can should we just have a look at the very briefly at the the speech the president's welcome message so this is president abdel fattah al-sisi who is the president of egypt and he has a, a welcome message on the page, front page of the COP twenty twenty seven website, and it. I, mean, I won't read it at length, but it's the. It will be familiar to people who have seen these kinds of welcome messages before. But I just wanted to read the last couple of sentences, in which he says, "I deeply believe that COP twenty seven is an opportunity to to showcase. There's the performance showcase unity against an existential threat that we can only overcome through concerted action." and effective implementation. As incoming presidency, Egypt will spend no effort to ensure that COP27 becomes the moment when the world moved from negotiation to implementation, where words were translated into actions, and where we collectively embarked on a path towards sustainability, a just transition, and eventually a greener future for coming generations. Welcome to Sharm el-Sheikh, he says. I thought that was very interesting in terms of what we've just been saying about the, the show i mean he kind of says you know this this is a this is about showcasing unity so he, the, he's kind of uh, uh, acknowledging that there at the same time making this distinction between words and action and one of the things that we keep seeing here is that, that we see a lot of people a lot of these leaders talking about translating words and the time has come to move from word to action you know making that distinction it's becoming quite a Quite a cliche of, yeah. of these kinds of, of of statement by by whoever's holding the presidency of these COP meetings. And so, what, what do you guys think about this? Uh, as discourse analysts, what do we think about first the distinction between words and action, and then specifically talking about this this very general kind of call to move from words to action without specifying anything in particular? I think it's one interesting bit is it underestimates the importance of words. Uh, and and politicians are very aware of this. I mean, the the uh, restitution fund, which is which is still quite vague, right? It's not clear who's going to pay for this. And uh, but the huge, from what I heard, a huge effort went into uh, pushing this through. Actually, saying we're not going to go away before this is done. Also from 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 parts of the European Union. And although it it, it was kept vague, uh, especially the the sort of contribution of China. Which is still debating whether it is a developing country or or an industrial country, oddly, is to have it on paper and it's at least there, and then and then you have a measuring stick uh, below of which you cannot fall, right? You can come back next time and say, no, we already agreed this, and now we need to fill it with 
with more with more words really i mean that's what's going to happen right you fill up with more words by saying you're going to who's going to pay what uh, but if you don't get it into the declaration and don't get the text work done then nothing happens right no no agreement is made no yeah so so that's and i think that's what's underestimated here but it's such a typical catchphrase isn't it this sort of words and actions politicians just talk well if you don't we make people do things by talking yeah and by convincing them yeah yeah no i like i, I mean i wonder whether actually what we don't we don't want to turn words we don't want words fewer words and more action we just want different words we want them to make words which are a commitment to specific things that will start combating the worst excesses of climate change do we yeah. I like the idea of tech. yeah, but it's bit by but it's bit by bit. It changes the it changes the perspective, right? But by, by saying okay, yes, we are going to have that fund and we need that fund, although yeah. we are not agreeing that it is we we are at fault here. We are now doing something dangerous, of course, because there there's a switch in the discourse between uh, sort of stopping climate change and climate change mitigation, which is also quite a risk. Yeah. Uh, and especially conservatives seem to love that idea of saying, oh, no, no, we just need to make sure with technology we can mitigate what's going to happen. So there's danger in that as well. But these, these dangers need to be ne negotiated. There's that Promethean myth I, do, I often talk about. I don't know if I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but, you know, we, we do, actually we did. I did I very much in terms of Boris Johnson's speech at the last COP is the idea that, that humankind is all-powerful and will find solutions if we try hard enough because you know, because we've survived 40, 100, how many thousand years we've survived, we do sort of believe that technology will solve everything and we can do stuff and we forget that we are really just a, a smaller part of the biggest thing. So I think, I think that's this wistful thinking that we will solve it is, is often there, isn't it? But also thinking about, yeah, you're quite, I agree totally that the, the power of words and the, I think sometimes people are a bit unfair in ex what they expect this meeting to do of all these people, you know. Uh, if we think of scales and analysis of, of scales that we've talked about before, things operate differently on, on different scales. And at this scale of operation, getting governments to agree to do stuff, to sign declarations, to allocate is, is essential. What we need then to see is, you know, stuff operating at different scales because at that level of organization, you're necessarily dealing in generalizations, in abstractions, cause and effect in very broad terms. That's the only way that you can hold that conversation in such a large group of people. Uh, and it's divorced from individual places. But then that, I suppose what it's going to do is then politicians often think that's it, or, you know, we, that is enough to solve it at that scale. And what we're not seeing where we need the activists and the other people is say, okay, in, 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 how does this operate? At the lower scales, and it's a very different kind of action then that's needed to get things to change. It's not just agreeing that there will be a net reduction of carbon by X across the world at such and such a time. That's got to then translate and say, how do we how do we move those words down to the local context and and turn them into because they are, as you say, they are they are action very much. They are their speech acts. These big documents, they they are actions, but then. What are the implications? And, and the closer you get to the ground, the more the more it's got to turn into actual physical action. But it's finding that translation, I, I suppose, and this seems to be where the trouble comes in when people are cutting out the, the, the civilian voices, as it were. It's like you know the old joke about the the guy designing the school and all these fantastic mod cons he'd have and the special blackboards and the beautiful doors, and then he wouldn't let any children into it because they'd only ruin it. And I think you know 
this is this is the end. these activists come along and spoil our plans by wanting to do do stuff you know it makes the picture muddy yeah 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 that, that's another theme that we've, we've we've come across isn't it that that translation recontextualization from yeah. one scenario such as these kind of huge diplomatic events to something i mean it, it just feels disconnected disconnected from those other mechanisms other social mechanisms which would be needed to 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 do other kinds of action, the non-discursive actions that we we need. Well, it's it's also the lack of momentum, certainly from from the PM statement, right? Coming back and yeah, and and saying, oh, it's all fine, it's yeah. all right, guys. Spoken to the German Chancellor, and it's all fine. Rather than coming coming back and saying, we're we're not doing enough. No, no, we as a nation do enough. Now it's time for others to do it. And yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely, absolutely. There's a phrase there in the. Uh, Naomi Klein article, a bit of intertextuality for, my, for you, Michael, one of your favourites, uh, talks about eco-social eco -social justice or eco-socialism in there. But of interesting work, course, you haven't got time to think about now, but stuff by, by Nancy Fraser and other people just basically sort of saying the system that created the problem is incapable of solving the problem because, as you say, Michael, it's the same, same solutions. You know, it's got to be more radical. It can't be the same. And that, therefore, this, the fact that you might, the greenwash, taking back to greenwashing as well, that if you haven't got a system that allows for participation, participatively re-democracy, and that starts looking at capitalist relations and human rights in a different perspective, all those things are together. You can't solve any of those problems individually. We tend to sort of compartmentalize them a bit, politicians, you know, whereas You've got to change them all at once, is what Nancy Fraser which and I would be inclined to agree that, you know, with this exploitative capitalist glossy brochure style of capitalism, it's, it's going to be very hard to change things because the, the mechanics aren't there to make it possible. And that's that's that that's part that, but that's part of that discourse that 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 is framed by the genre, right? That if you look at the at the video, you have you know you have cars, you have sustainable roads, you have aeroplanes, you've got you've got all the drinks and the wonderful hotels, and yep. there's no talk about well maybe lifestyle needs to sort of change and give, which is which is a difficult work, right? As we all know, I mean I, I still own a car and, and can't avoid it, which is which is not which I know is not great, but then you know. But then thinking, oh, if we just had sustainable roads and sustainable cars, it would all be fine. Just tweak the system and tweak, tweak the existing system a little and it will yeah. just work out nicely. Or it will stay just within reach of that elusive yeah. goal, that tantalizing goal. Tantalizing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're coming to the last couple of minutes. We noticed a couple of perhaps remarkable videos attached to the COP27. Do you want to quickly just mention those, Tom? We'll put links to those for in the chat as well, in the description as well. I'll just reference one because I was just sort of Googling to find what documents are around there. And I found this wonderful uh, web page. And the headline is, three protected areas you need to visit to you as you're a nature lover traveling to Sharm el-Sheikh for COP27 this November. And if you read it, it starts off located on the Red Sea coast at the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. Sharm el-Sheikh has become an international tourist destination in recent years, popular with Egyptian and foreign tourists alike on account of the region's natural and cultural beauty and its all-year-round dry climate. 
And so it continues, and it could be from the Lonely Planet and other guides are available. It's actually from the UNDP, the United Nations Development Page website. And this is not written tongue-in-cheek. It's basically saying, if you're a delegate going to COP27, it's a fantastic beach resort you can go to. And on about line 20, oh, and by the way, it's got mangrove swamps, so it's, it's sustainable. So you have a really nice time there, not feeling any guilt because you're taking part in this wonderful conference and it's a nice, clean beach. But it's, it's a whole page advert for the beaches that's just sort of almost beyond parody, the fact that the United Nations would have a whole page that's in that genre. As you said earlier on, Michael, the, the genre seems to have moved almost entirely to the tourist genre with only a, through, a few throwaway lines to, oh, and by the way, we're sustainable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, on that uh, slightly depressing, well, very depressing note, we should uh, wrap things up. Um, Michael, thank you very much for uh, your wonderful contribution to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's been great. Tom, great to see you. And nice to see you again. Yeah, see you next time. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. See you soon. Bye now. Bye.